worship the Lord together. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever bring. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you.
Well, good morning, LJCC. Give your last hug, shake your last handshake, and then grab yourself a seat. We can get this show started. How are we all doing this morning? Everybody have a good day? Yeah, I love, this is my favorite corner up here, if you hadn't noticed. I love these people. They're amazing. My name is Ryan Sylvia. I am the director of student ministries here at LJCC, and I just want to welcome you to our wonderful house of worship this morning. Give yourselves a round of applause for waking up this morning. Thank you, thank you. Gonna have a little bit of fun today. I love this service. We, were, we got the energy in here. You guys are actually awake. It's nice. Awesome. One of the things that LJCC prides itself on is our sense of family. We believe if you attend this church, if you walk through those doors, you are a part of our family. And we want to join you in the things that are going on in your life. So if you grab your bulletin, notice that beautiful front little cover we got going on there. Right inside that, you will notice a little place to fill out some information about yourself. 
as a family, we believe in praying together and praising together and living life together. If you've got something great going on in your life, please fill it out. Write a little praise report. We would love to praise with you. If you've got something difficult going on in your life, if you need some prayer, fill it out. We have a dedicated team of strong Christians who pray over every single prayer request we get here at LJCC because we believe in the power of prayer and coming together as a community. So please fill that out. And the wonderful thing about our amazing bulletins, if you notice, it'll rip right off. You can keep your sermon notes. Uh, we got a wonderful speaker coming on later today. Um, but then you can take that little... The, little piece, your prayer, your prayers report, and the ushers are going to come by uh, in a few moments uh, later in the service and just drop that in the offering basket so that we can pray for you and your family. Um, speaking of community, we had something fantastic happen yesterday. Raise your hand if you helped beautify LJCC Saturday morning. Have a fantastic time. Give yourselves a round of applause. Thank you so much for serving our community. I, I just love the fact that LJCC believes in taking care of each other and coming together as a community. We had all kinds of people. Saw Nils out there pounding away on the corner of the parking lot, trying to make it look nice and pretty. We had a fantastic time. So thank you all for coming to make this place look great. Might smell a little stinky in the planter boxes. That's okay. It's just life. That's how things are. Uh, we, had a, we had a really, really great time. So thank you all for who, everyone who came out to join us. Uh, a couple of announcements of future things that are coming up. Uh, we have the Harvest Festival on Saturday, October 26th. We will be hosting our 12th annual, 12th annual Harvest Festival. How awesome is that? Right? Pretty awesome. 12th annual Harvest Festival. That'll be on the 26th, Saturday, from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. This is one of the big events that we do here at LJCC so that we can reach our preschool. How many of you guys know that we have tons of preschoolers on our campus every single day of the week that don't always get a chance to participate in what's going on here? So this is our opportunity to reach those families, to reach those people, and to reach our neighbors. So if you know somebody that would love to come to a Harvest Festival that's got some kids that could use a fun time on Saturday, October 26th. Invite your friends, invite your neighbors, invite people that you know who would love to come and be a part of that. Um, if you don't know anybody that you can invite, that's okay. Come serve with us. Come help us out. We need lots and lots of candy. If you don't know what you can do, but you can bring some candy, please bring some candy or serve at the event. We've got lots of games. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I can be a preschooler in tic-tac-toe. That is definitely within my capabilities. If you can do that, you can run a booth. So please come, sign up, whatever you can. We're just looking to come together as a community to serve those that are God's children. So please join us in that. Uh, the next event that I would like to uh, introduce to you guys is our Stories event for women. This is an event for ladies 18 and up. Um, get ready for stories. It's coming on Saturday, November 9th. It's going to be an engaging and interactive day just for the women. You get to hear speakers and, sorry, you get to hear speakers share how God is working in their lives. Registration starts today uh, and it's going to be $10. But please, if you, if you can't afford to make it, do not let money be a reason that stops you from going to this event. We have a, we've got a great community of women here at LJCC, and we have scholarship opportunities. So if you would like to go to this event, please check out our website, ljcc.org, under events. There'll be a little register tab on there to save your spot. Uh, we've also got a few more details in the bulletin. But if you are a woman of this church and would like just to surround yourself with strong, amazing women to hear what's going on in their lives, you are not going to want to miss this event. Well, thank you so much. If you would please join us in some prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask to approach your glorious throne in the name of our Redeemer and coming King Jesus. We marvel at the thought that the great God of the universe is willing to listen to our voices. And we seek your spirit's power to proclaim the kingdom gospel among all the peoples of the earth. Lord, we want to acknowledge that our pressing need for your grace is because we sin daily. We do not intend to sin, but it is constantly at our door awaiting its chance to ensnare us. For that reason, we respectfully request that you protect us from the evil one who roars about trying to catch and devour us, each of us, as our beloved brother Peter warned. We thank you that we live in a country that allows us ample opportunities 
to provide for our family's needs. We pray that you will bless us with income in order that we may be able to also bless others and the church when needed. We appreciate your gift of the church to us as a means of drawing us closer to you in worship at least once each week. We know that according to the turmoil we find among the nations today, that this is not a time for us to avoid attending church unnecessarily. We pray that you will open our hearts to the sermon today and that it might provide us with a message that will strengthen our faith and hope in the second coming of our Lord, King Jesus, and your kingdom to follow. We are asking and seeking your blessing on this community of believers and are confident that we will find peaceful comfort in the promise that the Lord Jesus is here among us now. It is in his name that we ask this prayer. Amen. At the moment, I'm going to dismiss the junior high and high school students to uh, head off to their classrooms. High school students will be following Tony upstairs to the cove. Junior high students will follow me to the surf shack. Uh, but before we do that, I'd like to introduce our speaker. I'm happy to welcome back Tuvia Zaretsky. Uh, he's a brother in Christ and a friend of LJCC. He's one of the world's leading experts on communicating the gospel to Jews and Palestinians. He is also an author, having created excellent resources for Jewish and Gentile married couples. Tuvia, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> I'm blessed to be back with you all. Shalom. Yeah, I think we were here in uh, the springtime, and um, uh, your pastor is one of my favorites. Um, uh, I don't know whether it's because we come from the same town, but I know it's because uh, he has a great love for the Word of God and uh, has always blessed my heart. Um, and he wrote that incredible, incredible introduction, which I'll never live up to. But <laughs> no, I'm really, I'm really grateful to, to be back with you all and, and uh, especially to, to see um, Steve and Janet get a chance to get away and some rest. This is a wonderful um, uh, series that we're working on, which is the identity, our identity as believers, as the people of God? And that's a, that's a really interesting question. Um, as a, a Jewish believer in Jesus, I get asked a lot of really interesting questions about um, um, things like, so before you were a Christian, were you Jewish? Like something stopped, <laughs> you know. Um, I think the most interesting one, I, I, it was uh, Ryan mentioned that, that I work with Jewish Gentile couples. Uh, about um, eight years ago, I was at a, uh, a church in West Los Angeles. A Jewish guy had come to the meeting with his, um, his wife. And, uh, and I'm, I'm telling you this because I'm hoping maybe some of you who are here are in that same kind of a situation. But uh, Bruce, who came to the meeting, was, was, um, uh, he was an open-minded Jewish guy who didn't happen to have any particular affection for or attachment to Jesus. And he walked up to me after the service, having heard the message, and he asked the typical identity question with his tongue in his cheek and a little bit of snark in his attitude, he says, okay, so are you Jewish or are you a Christian? Like, how'd you become schizophrenic? You know, like that. And, and I said, um, you know, it's, that's not a hard question to answer. Actually, it's pretty easy. The only thing is, you're not going to understand my answer. And it's not because you're stupid. It's because you've been indoctrinated. That's where I came from. But the answer to your question simply is yes. Now, if you want to go get a cup of coffee, we can talk about it, and you can discover something new. His response was with a, with a smart aleck, that's not what he said, but with a smart aleck answer like that, let's go get coffee. Nine years later, God opened his heart to know the truth of Jesus. Yeah. Identity means a lot. Our identity as God's people is rooted and grounded in a covenant the new covenant. This morning I want to talk about that, that new covenant relationship and how, how that has established us as believers together in a unique and powerful relationship with the living God and has, I hope it will inspire your hearts. That's what I was praying for as I was coming, coming down here from West LA this morning. I want to give you some of the history, the background to it, and then we'll jump into to, um, Hebrews chapter 10 before we're done and, and kind of tie it all together. But from the very beginning, it was God's intent 
that we have a relationship with him. Today we hear a lot of, a lot of um, millennials saying to us, you know, we're spiritual, but we're not religious. It's because religion, the institutions, the organizations have become anathema, something that has, has gone stale and tired. And what people want is a, a genuine spiritual relationship with God. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing at all. I love to engage that conversation. But from the very beginning, God had declared it was his intent to do this. It's a three-part formula. I learned this from Walter C. Kaiser, Jr., my Old Testament theology professor. These three points keep appearing in the scriptures. I will be your God. You will be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of you. Summarize this in the one word, Emmanuel, God with us. But it's based on his love for humanity and his desire to have a relationship with us. I will be your God. You will be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of you. There's an intimacy in this. And if you think about the scriptures, that's, that's how it began. In the Garden of Eden, God walked with Adam and Eve. He talked with Adam and Eve. They had nothing to hide. They couldn't hide. They were open with him until the fall. But that's where it all began. God was their God they were his people. They had this intimate relationship, and he dwelt with them in their midst. Leviticus 26, we read that God had called Israel in this same kind of relationship for a purpose. He would preserve Israel, and through Israel, he would bring the one who would restore the relationship that was broken in the Garden of Eden. And he says to Israel, after the exodus, after... The, Let's see, there's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. They go down into Egypt, 400 years they're there, crying out to God. The Lord delivered them, brought them out of Egypt into the Sinai wilderness. No religion, no government, no army, no organization of any kind. And God organizes the nation around his house. And in the midst of the camp of Israel, he plants a tent. It's called Beit HaMikdash, the tent of meeting, the place where God would meet with the people. He dwelt there in a way that they could see through the glory of the Shekinah presence over that temple, over that tabernacle. And he, he says to Israel, as he's teaching them about relating to him through the festivals and through the sacrifices, he says, Moreover, I will make my dwelling among you. My soul will not reject you. I'll be your God. I will also walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. There's that theme again. From the Garden of Eden to the establishment of Israel as a people, a people of God. And then in the very end of the scriptures in Revelation chapter 21, we're told that the final ingathering festival that inaugurates an eternity with the Lord is around a tabernacle in the New Jerusalem. And there, with all the saints gathered together, we read, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be among them. Hang on to these thoughts. I will be your God, you will be my people, I will dwell in the midst of you. God wanted a relationship with people, and he was going to do it through a covenant relationship, a promise that he established for eternity. Back in the garden when Adam and Eve were created, capstone of creation. Everything else was tov, it was good. Then he comes to, to humanity and he says, that's tov me'od, it's perfect. It's very good, it's exactly what I want. And yet he created us with a perfect free will. That perfect free will allowed humanity to be disobedient, disloyal, and to break the relationship with the living God, to turn our backs and distrust him. When that disloyalty, that disobedience entered in, the relationship was broken, and God said he's not going to leave us there, but that he would send, he would send a seed through a woman, and that seed would accomplish redemption. For he says to the serpent who has um, beguiled Adam and Eve, he promises that he's going to bring them into a relationship once more 
And he says to the, to the serpent, I'm going to put enmity between you and the seed of the woman. And the seed of the woman is going to crush your head and you're going to bruise his heel. That's um, Genesis chapter 3.15. God had promised a way to preserve humanity and bring them back into a relationship with him. Well, I want to go back into, into the scriptures where, where all this took place. And, and you see in, in the map of the ancient Near East um, where it all started in the garden down on, on the, the Gulf of uh, um, Aqaba. Uh, the, the Gulf where, um, what is the Gulf there? <laughs> down by uh, the, the uh, Tigris and Euphrates dumping into the, um, the sea. Um, at any rate, uh, <laughs> the Garden of Eden's around there. <laughs> uh, and, and we know that that's where, where um, God called out to, to Adam and Eve and made this, this promise to them. Not far from there was uh, um, an Aramean, Adam, uh, Abraham. Um, Abraham, the ninth generation um, after the flood, the Noahic flood, is called by God to go from that place all the way across to the west through what is today Syria, down through Lebanon, into the land of the Canaanites. And there God promised that he would meet with him. And God told him that he was going to be the father of many nations, that God would make his name great, that he would be given a land. And then God made a promise to Abraham, a promise that was established all the way back in the, the Garden of Eden. He says, in you will all the nations of the earth be blessed. God makes a, a covenant promise to, to Abraham, and he tells him that he's going to establish that covenant promise uh, as a way of blessing all the nations with the redemption coming through the seed of a woman. Now, that seed of a woman was going to require the woman, a tribe, and a nation. And so Abraham was going to be the father of of a nation that would be the delivery system of the Messiah. That would be Jesus coming through the Jewish people. And God told Abraham that he was going to accomplish this, and he alone would do this. And we read in, in Genesis chapter 15 that God brings Abraham into the land. And at the moment that Abraham looks up and says, God, I can't do this. I can't be a father to anyone. He was in his 90s, and Sarah was in her late 70s already. And as Abraham is struggling with this whole idea of God fulfilling a word that he has made, the Lord God tells Abraham, look up at the sky. Do you see the stars? Do you see how glorious and beautiful this is? If I can accomplish that, I can bring you seed, children, like the stars that I threw up in the heavens. And as Abraham stands there and looks and beholds what is going on, he has that, that uh, Psalm 19 moment. As the heavens declare the glory of God, day by day their word goes out and, and the firmament declares the reality of the living God and his power. And Abraham has that moment where his heart turns and says, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I believe you. Okay, Lord, I know you can do this. Do you have those kind of moments? You know what I'm talking about? It's that moment when God grants the gift of faith when you plead for it. And you say, God, I don't know how to believe in you, but I don't know how to trust you in this, but I'm willing to have you give me the heart to follow you. I tell the story about um, a fellow named Silvio Rosdal. Silvio was the child of Holocaust survivors from Romania. Um, he came to our office for Bible study every week. Um, he was, Sylvia was the kind of guy you really didn't want in your Bible study. He asked all the hard questions, and, and then he would eat half the food in, the, in the, the sidebar. But he would ask these tough questions, and week after week he would come and he would ask them publicly, and I'd have to say, okay, let's talk afterwards. Our staff had been ministering to him for 23 years. In the 23rd year, he was coming to the Bible study, and he said, okay, I think, I think I'm getting it, but I can't fake it. I don't know how to just, you know, one day I, I rejected Jesus, how can I accept him now? And I said, well, ask God to give you the gift of faith. Comes back the next week. You know what his question was? Why didn't he give me the gift of faith this week? I asked for it. 
Different timetable, Silvio. Came back the next week. Came back the next week. Pretty soon, I'm praying, God, give him the gift of faith already. <laughs> I prepared a Bible study um, one afternoon um, on uh, Matthew chapter seven, 17, where Jesus asked his disciples, who do you think I am? It was a kind of a um, final exam after the three years that they've been traveling with him. And of course, Simon Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, well done, Simon Peter, but you didn't figure that out because you're so smart yourself. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But my Father in heaven gave that to you. I have this Bible study already. As I'm, I get to the office. Usually we have about 14 to 16 people at the Bible study. No one shows up except Silvio Rosedahl. Sitting right in front of me. We're sitting at the table together. I've got one other staff worker who came just to kind of give support. And as I'm getting to the story about Simon Peter, all of a sudden, Silvio goes, oh, oh what? I get it. You get what? It says, if you believe that Jesus is Lord, if you confess that Jesus is Lord with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. He says, I believe that. I went, what? And my coworker sitting next to him, who's been trying to disciple him for years, goes, <clears throat> I go, what are you going mm for? He just came to faith. He said, why was it so easy? <laughs> easy, it's been 23 years. And God did embed faith in his heart. It was, that's the way it was. Have you ever prayed, God, grant me the faith to trust you, to believe in you? He does, in his time and in his way. I trust you, Lord. Shortest prayer there is. It's the one that reverses everything of the curse based on who he is and what he's done by the power of his grace. God brought Abraham outside and said, look at the stars of heaven. You believe that I can give you seed like the stars of heaven? Abraham said, Lord, I trust you. And God counted that for, to him for righteousness. And that's the message to us. It's not about all the religion. It's not about all the religious system and, and activity. It is about the covenant relationship that God made, first with Abraham, and then to all who became the remnant of all the nations. Because that's, that's how it happens. A remnant from all the nations would come to faith and believe. It was always that way through Scripture. Noah was the first of the, the remnant. We hear about Elijah. Elijah complained to God, why is it that, why is it that I'm the only one in Israel who hasn't turned, uh, who hasn't, um, uh, turned to the, the Canaanite gods? And, and the Lord God told um, uh, Elijah in, in 1 Kings 18, you're not the only one. I've reserved 7,000 who haven't, haven't turned to, um, to Baal and their sacrifices. God is preserving a remnant in the Old Testament called Sha'arit, those who were, had come through the, um, the catastrophe, those who had been saved out of the mess. That's who we are, the people who came through the catastrophe of sin and brokenness, those of us who have come through the mess from a lot of different messes and backgrounds. God has drawn us to himself and has planted in our hearts a relationship by faith and grace. His promise went not just to Israel, but went out to the nations. For we're told that, that the, the sacrifices that had been, been spoken by, um, uh, by God to, um, to Israel at the temple had been established year after year to make it possible to understand that we're broken and he offered sacrifices to pay for our sin, to bring us into a relationship with him. And that's what was, was teaching the people year after year. But a remnant would always be called to him. In Galatians chapter 3, we're told that um, once again now, um, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He doesn't say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to the one, that is the Messiah, to Jesus. And to your seed, that is Messiah, Christ. He was the promised blessing. 
He was the one that everything was waiting for, that everything counted on. He was the one that would make it possible for a remnant from Israel to find a total relationship with the living God and know that their sin had been wiped away, that guilt had been, had been cleansed, that sorrow and separation had been healed. But there's also a promise that a remnant from all the nations would receive this same blessing as God promised Abraham. And that same blessing, Jesus would come to all. We read in Galatians chapter 3, verses 28 and 29, Eternal life is available to all people without limitations because of ethnicity, social status, or gender, for you are all one in the Messiah, Jesus. For all, all of God's people receive the same faith and grace through Jesus Christ. If you have, you have not only received faith, but you received the faith that God gave Abraham, which makes you and me the spiritual seed of Abraham. I'm grateful to have been born in a, into a Jewish family with a Jewish heritage and look at all of this and see both the good and the bad in the Bible is my own history, some of it pretty embarrassing. But I'm even more grateful to be a spiritual seed of Abraham with the rest of my brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. That's our identity as God's people together. So now we look at, uh, that's the background to all this that I wanted to get to in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. We read, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never, be, never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering of his perfected uh, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Jesus is that man. Jesus is that one. Jesus is God who came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves and which the sacrifices at the holy temple could not accomplish for perfection but had to be repeated year after year as it taught Israel, my ancestors, to trust in God and his ability to provide sanctification and sacrifice. Verse 11 said that the priest ministered a repeated and unremitting continuous cycle of sacrifices. Do you know that tonight, it's a full moon, but tonight on the Jewish calendar begins the great celebration of the ingathering, the Feast of Sukkot. I was in Israel two weeks ago tonight when the trumpets were blown to herald the arrival of this season. The rabbis, since there's no temple, can't keep the, the festival sacrifices that go with this fest, with the Feast of Sukkot. And so they've changed it to the new Jewish New Year. But we heard the, the trumpet blast to wake people up and call them to Jerusalem to be part of God's ingathering. And we can be ingathered as his remnant, and we will be one day, because of his grace and what he did in Jesus the Messiah. In verses 12 and 13, we get this contrast but this man, it says, Jesus offered once a sacrifice that was perfect. Where at the temple, the priest had to offer repeatedly. Jesus has become the great high priest who went into the Holy of Holies just once to accomplish all that God needed to see, to wipe away the burden of our sin. Verse 14 tells us, by one offering, he's perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Jesus offered once the perfect sacrifice, the promise that we are sanctified, cleansed, and set apart once for all and forever, as Buzz Lightyear said, to infinity and beyond. I can't believe I used toy, a Toy Story <laughs> quote here. <laughs> Point made, it doesn't end. It is, it is God's perfect sacrifice for us. In verses 15 through 18, the writer of Hebrews tells us that uh, it is the new covenant that fulfilled what God promised in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. For he promised that through Abraham would come a blessing to all the nations. Now, the new covenant came at the worst time in Israel's history. 
Jeremiah was called to be a prophet in 626 B.C. That's 94 years after the 10 northern tribes were crushed and carried off and wiped out of history by the Assyrians. Jeremiah lived in the southern kingdom. The remnant of Israel was there. And he warned them that if they didn't turn away from idols and get serious about the worship at the holy temple, God was going to just take the temple out from their midst. That meant the Shekinah glory would depart from Israel. And the nation would be left Ichavod, Ichabod, we say in English, Ichavod, without glory. And he warned the people. And in a time of the deepest hopelessness and darkness, God gave Jeremiah a word of hope. For he said, I will renew the covenant that I made with Abraham. A covenant not like the covenant that they broke in the Sinai wilderness with Moses. This is my covenant which I will make. This is the new covenant. I will write it on their hearts and scribe it in their minds. They shall know me and I will wipe away their sin. Those are the, there are four uh, elements of that new covenant. There are, two of them are inscribed here in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 15 through 18. First of all, the testimony of the Holy Spirit is that this new covenant will make them disciples forever. This new covenant will change them from the inside out. And the two elements of, of that new covenant, they'll become heirs of, that, of the benefits of the, the covenant, and they will find, first of all, the rules, the Torah, the instruction written on their hearts that we might do what God has called us to do because of our passion and our love and our relationship with him. And secondly, sin will be t wiped away. That the fear the sense of being judged, the sense of owing God something, a debt because of our brokenness is going to be taken away. Remember I started this by telling you about my friend Bruce Arlen who came to faith in Jesus after a nine-year conversation. And he called me up not long after that and he said, you know, a weird thing has happened. I come to faith in Jesus and now I'm more aware of what a terrible person I was before and the depth of my nature since coming to faith in Jesus. What's that all about? And it occurred to me as we were talking, and I think this, this was God's gift through his Holy Spirit. I said, Bruce, I don't think any of us can understand how deeply we are flawed until we know the enormity of God's love for us. That until we know that we are unconditionally loved and secure in God's loving kindness and relationship, we can't begin to admit how terribly broken, tragically flawed we are. That's what the grace of God opens us up to realize. And we can only do that when that debt has been paid, when the stain of guilt and shame is washed away and we can see with eyes afresh and made alive to realize God has washed us and made us glow with the glow of his Holy Spirit who now lives within us. This is the new covenant and this is what God had desired to do with us, what he's desired to do for us. He's in the process of changing people. He's in the process of changing us because of our new identity in him. He's in the process of changing the world because of this new covenant. In the weeks that follow, in the next two weeks, you're going to hear more about that on this, this particular subject. But tonight, with the Feast of Sukkot, I want to remind us that God has done something, something glorious. Um, and, and we have a chance to, to worship him and, and walk in that. We sang earlier this morning, I build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you. I will not be shaken. That's because of our new identity. Amen? 
as God's people together, where he has said, I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of you. That's the hope of the in-gathering, and we've already got the down payment as God's people this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you this morning because you have made us new. You have given us a hope by planting in our hearts what we cannot be by nature, but what we can be by the sufficiency of your new covenant grace that has taken root in our lives. We are grateful that you make that possible because in the person of your Holy Spirit, you are our God and you dwell in the midst of us and you've made us your people. Lord, let these truths reign in our hearts, let our trust for you grow, our faith in you increase, may our passion for you glow such that others are drawn to know you. We give you thanks in Jesus' name, amen. At this time, we're going to take our tithes and offerings. The ushers are going to come forward and help us with that. So let us pray. Father God, we just appreciate you for your generosity, your kindness, everything that you show us every single day, and for everything that you've given us. We thank you for being active in our history, active in our present, and in our future. In Chronicles, you tell us, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. So, Lord, please use these offerings to do your good, to shine a light in this world. Please bless everyone in their generosity and their giving. We are thankful for you every single day. In your son's name we pray. Amen.
If you'd like to pray with someone afterwards, there'll be brothers and sisters around in the back here in the prayer garden. Please join with them, okay? I'll be out at a resource table up here on the upper patio. Look forward to talking with some of you. If you'd like some resources, um, I've got lots there, but especially if you're interested in information to help you talk to mixed couples, that's where my passion, my heart is right now, along with, with my wife. <laughs> 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 I'd like to offer a benediction. It was um, originated in the temple by God himself. He asked the priests to bless his people. And so it's appropriate this morning that I extend it to this body as the Lord's people. I'm going to chant it in Hebrew and then give you the English translation. All right? Please receive God's blessing.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his face unto you and minister his grace to you. May the Lord lift the light of his countenance upon you and grant you his Shalom is peace. May I simply add, Vashem Sar Shalom in the name of the Prince of Peace, Adon Yeshua, our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.